Brothers and sisters, we are a psalm singing church. Uh, I'm sure that statement doesn't come with any surprise to any of you. Uh, It's hard to miss, uh, especially given the ongoing current of culture, as we might call it, uh, in the wider church today. Uh, I am uh, personally conscious of this, given my own background and experience, how unusual, and, and that's maybe the nicest adjective to use, Uh, how unusual it is that, to start with, uh, we don't employ instrumentation in worship. Uh, No organ, no piano, no band of musical instruments as we worship God uh, each Lord's Day. But furthermore, we sing the psalms and we sing the psalms only. Uh, That's an important distinction uh, because uh, I didn't grow up in this denomination and tradition But I did grow up singing the Psalms of the Bible. Uh, I just didn't grow up singing only the Psalms. And and I would welcome the opportunity to hear the distinction made between psalm singing and exclusive psalm singing. Uh, All too often, the reference to uh, psalm singing is meant to be a reference to singing the Psalms only, when there are, there are quite a number of denominations that sing the Psalms, but just not exclusively. But we sing the Psalms exclusively. And we do this on principle, uh, which is to say we, we do this because of the conviction that, uh, that this is how God would, would have us worship Him. Uh, in particular, to sing to Him uh, his psalms and our praise of him. And the effect of uh, that is uh, almost immediately evident. When we decide that we're going to use the psalms of Scripture in our worship of God, uh, it prescribes for us, think about this with me, it prescribes for us the singing of some rather difficult things for us to say. And I think we really ought to to think of it that way, that God is prescribing what he wants us to say to him as we worship him. Uh, To put it it even more plainly, God himself puts uh, the words in our mouths as we sing to him. And it's worth pointing out that this is true, uh, not just of our worship music, but of everything we sing or say or preach in the, in the worship service, it's, it's all about God's Word. Our worship is based upon God's Word. Uh, if God hasn't said it, then it would be foolish for us to say it back to Him. And, and that's really the basis of, of psalm singing, even exclusive psalm singing, that, uh, that why would we ever say something to God that isn't true to His Word? And the best way to stay true to His Word is to say back to Him what He has first said to us. But that then puts us in the place where we need to deal with some of the things that God would put in our mouths. Have you ever been singing a song to God? Maybe even this morning already. Have you ever been singing a, a song uh, to God uh, and thought to yourself, wait a minute, what does that mean? Why am I singing this to God? 
Why am I voicing such an idea, such a sentiment? What in the world am I singing? The advantage of psalm singing is is that when that happens, you can at least say, well, this is what God wants me to sing. I'm at least singing his word back to him. So the problem is, is not that some songwriter is putting words in my mouth that may or may may or may not be true and right god himself is putting words in my mouth i just need to understand these words better so that i can sing them with understanding so that i can sing them from both my heart and my mind so it probably comes as no surprise that this introduction comes as we deal with verse 6 of psalm 11 And more generally, with all those verses and passages of the Psalms by which we call for God's judgment upon the wicked. How can we sing these words? Verse 6 of Psalm 11, Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Are we not caught short? As we sing these words, are we not prompted to think even as we sing, wait, what? It is, after all, a prayer, an expression of personal desire that God should rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. So let this be the first point, our call to God. By way of the teaching of God's word, this should be at least one of our petitions, one of the things that we request of God, that he would judge the wicked. Let us pray for traveling mercies and good health. Let us pray for healing and strength. Let us pray to be kept from temptation and sin. Let us pray for success on the, on the test we have to take this week. Uh, let us pray for more and, and better relationships in our lives and, and for all other godly desires. Let us pray. But let us pray for this as well, that God would rain coals on the wicked that fire and sulfur and the scorching wind would be what God sends to those who hate him and rebel against him. The question, of course, are, are, are we willing to pray as much according to the teaching of God's word? If we say, no, I, I, I don't care to pray that prayer to God, well, then what in the world are we doing singing the Psalms? especially as we are singing to God, presumably in in praise of Him. Because the Psalms are filled with with such prayers. And and whether we're singing the Psalms or, or simply reading them, these are the words that God Himself is putting in our mouths. So to this point in our proclamation and study of Psalm 11, we we have heard words and and teaching of great comfort. We have heard that we can take refuge in the Lord. We have heard that the word Lord in our English Bibles uh, is the name Yahweh in the original text. We We have heard that the name Yahweh rendered the Lord in our English Bibles is the covenant name of God. We have received the assurance that indeed, 
we can cry out to God in our troubles. And we can know that He is nearby, and yet He is on high, ruling and reigning with all authority. So not only can we go to Him for help in trouble, He has come to us to save us from our deepest trouble. All this we have heard and and learned in Psalm 11, but then it comes around to these words likely to be difficult for us. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. If we are to pray these words, it will require, first of all, that we truly feel our trouble. Here is, here is the clue that uh, the trouble the psalmist is facing is real trouble. In our own experience, we, we can tend to overreact. Someone is uh, insensitive to us. Uh, someone says something rather mean, uh, and then we want to kill them, or we want them to suffer for it. This is why, uh, at least one of the reasons why God's law stipulates an eye for an eye. Uh, You can't let your anger boil to the point where you want more punishment than fits the crime. Otherwise, you you have this constant escalation of, of retribution. He did that, so I will do this, even though it's more Uh, severe than what he did. So that person sees that he has been repaid more than justice allows. So he repays even more than justice allows. He retaliates and so on it goes, always escalating, always increasing. God's law says, stop. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Because granted, justice is important. If someone hurts you, you should want justice. But as Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Otherwise, the devil gets his way all the more. Offense leads to offense. Sin breeds sin. And the greater destruction ensues, which is why 1 Peter 4.8 says, love covers a multitude of sins. So with this understanding... How should we read Psalm 11, verse 6? Why didn't David, the psalmist, let love cover a multitude of sins? Why pray for God's judgment upon the wicked? Well, the answer is that he knows he is in trouble. And and he knows the degree to which he is in trouble. He can't just say, oh, I'm I'm just going to show love and, and forgive. When someone is attacking you, it often doesn't work to say, hey, can, can we talk about this? <laughs> You're about ready to kill me, uh, so you can steal what belongs to me. But, you know, uh, I bet you've really had a bad day, and let's just talk about it. You can't do that. I bet your mother didn't love you, right? You can't do that with your attacker. You can't can't reason with the wicked. No, the attacks that David was under were deadly attacks. Not just slights of offense, not just 
cold shoulders and gossip behind his back. I'm sure he had plenty of that as well. But this was serious trouble that David was in. It's clear from the text that David was dealing with those who would kill him. And the reason is clear is that David calls for God to rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. So if we would pray these words, it will require, secondly, that we have a a true sense for justice. And here we find that, that the image of God in man continues and endures even though man is fallen in sin. If someone steals from you, you might be willing to forgive, but you still want your money back, right? So what does forgiveness look like when someone steals from you? Well, it begins with a decision not to deliver greater retribution than the crime itself. Forgiveness comes as you don't break his arm because he stole $10 out of your wallet, but you still want your money back, right? Because that's justice. Forgiveness doesn't cancel justice. And I think we can all understand that. But it gets hard to figure. Well, here in, in Psalm 11, and with so many other psalms as well, if, if the call is for God to rain coals on the wicked, then either David is repaying evil for evil, and God's word is calling us to do the same, or the point is justice, which we all understand. There must be justice somewhere, somehow. For every evil committed in the world, there must be justice. And so if we are to pray these words, it will require our own dedication to God's honor. We've already mentioned how difficult justice can be because, because of the image of God in us. We, we, we have a sense of justice. We rightly long for, for, for wrongs to be righted. We long for justice to be done. The judge who lets the, the criminal go free is not a good judge, but is instead a plague upon our society. And yet it's not always clear what justice is what the punishment should be, and how justice should be done. It's not clear until we measure all sin against the holiness of God. What is justice when someone steals my money? Well, I I want my money back. But what is justice when someone sins against God? Well, what really has happened when someone sins against God is that they have rebelled against him. And sin shows that they they have taken sides with the greatest of enemies of God, the evil one. And so what does the punishment do? Again, we we, we can understand this. If, If someone is caught embezzling money from the company, then the first thing that is going to happen is that that person is not going to be paid even one more paycheck. They will be fired. They will be cut off from the payroll. Justice demands it. It would be absurd to continue paying a person who is guilty of stealing from the company. 
Well, so it is with God's justice and his judgment, if, if, if we're willing to see it and, and admit it. As sad as it is, as, as horrific as it is, if someone is in rebellion against God, if a person has taken sides with the enemy of God, well, then justice requires that that person be cut off and not be allowed to continue to draw on the, the blessings of God only using the blessings of God against him in their rebellion against him. If we want God to forego justice when this is what sin is, then we are expecting God to be a fool. And so the second point here is the heat of God's judgment because the psalmist uh, doesn't just call for God's judgment, but the fullness of judgment. Verse 6 says, Let him rain coals on the wicked. And what are coals but something that is burning hot, something to inflict pain upon the person being judged. And the heat continues, so to speak, as the psalmist says further, Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. So once again, we... We either need to figure that David has lost his temper and is lashing out in sinful anger, or we need to see that David knows the trouble he is in, that he recognizes not only the injustice done to him, but even more the offense against God. And that even as he feels the wrong done to him, yet his chief concern is, is the dishonor done to God. The connection here, of course, is hell. It's interesting that uh, what the Bible teaches about hell as, uh, as God's judgment for sin progresses throughout Scripture. To some degree, the fullness of our understanding of hell doesn't come until we arrive at the book of Revelation. But it's actually our Lord Himself who accelerates this teaching. Uh, One scholar has said, uh, having surveyed the the full teaching of Jesus, uh, that, that Jesus actually taught more about hell than he did about heaven. And in the end, there, there's actually a connection between heaven and hell because heaven will be what heaven is exactly because of the reality of hell and the hell is, 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 is what it is, or hell is what it is exactly because of the reality of heaven. But the point here is, is that hell is almost always described as, as a place of fire, so that the judgment of God is taught to us as the matter of heat. Uh, we might ask, is hell a literal place? And, and is it really a place of literal fire? The best answer I've heard to that question is to say, well, the metaphor is always lesser than the reality, so that if the fires of hell are not literal, then it's even worse than that. But the most important thing is to recognize the coming of God's judgment and to look to Christ for our salvation Yes, we need to be saved from the sin that robs us of joy and pleasure in life. 
Yes, we need to be rescued from uh, the, the self-destruction that sin brings even in this life. But the fullest extent of God's judgment is hell. And ultimately, we need to be delivered from hell. We need a way of escape from the heat of the wrath of God that is coming upon this world. And so we have this last point, the portion of the wicked. Verse 6 of Psalm 11 concludes with the reference to the portion of their cup. And uh, what we need to take from this is that we all have a cup in our hands. And, and what we need to take from this is, 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 is that um, um, it's, it's much like being a, a, a baby bird in a nest uh, if you've ever discovered a, a bird's nest and, and uh, found the baby birds in there with their mouths all wide open as they, as they hear you and sense your, your presence, they open their mouths that they might be fed. It's a picture of need, you see. And, and, but here it's, it's really the picture of recompense as we all have that cup that we have in our hands. In other words, one way or another, there is a portion that will come to you. There is a portion. There is, there is a portion that will come to you, whether that's blessing or judgment. All sinners go through their lives with a cup and with their mouths open. Or to return to the metaphor of uh, Psalm 11, we all have that cup in our hand. And the question is, what will God pour into your cup? I think the idea of a cup um, worked better for the original audience of Psalm 11 because, because uh, they understood better than we do uh, that your cup is the matter of life or death. On, on one hand, uh, what you have in your cup is, is your life. Uh, we take food and drink for granted, most of us probably just enjoyed a, another feast of food uh, this past week. A, a very full plate is is not so distant in uh, in anybody's past. Here this morning, um, you can probably still picture in your memory what your plate looked like for your Christmas dinner. But we also take for granted that food can kill you. Or think of it this way, that, that anything you put in your body can either help you or it can kill you. And so it is that God's Word refers to each person's cup, to what each person will receive from the Lord. The warning is that, um, is that what the wicked will receive from the Lord in their cup is fire and sulfur and a scorching wind. In other words, justice will be done. Judgment will come from God upon the wicked. But in conclusion, how then does this fit with the refuge and the comfort of Psalm 11? Again, Psalm 11 begins with uh, uh, the statement and the confession of faith, In the Lord I take refuge. And the point is, uh, the point has been made that the rest of the psalm is really the explanation of what it means, what it is 
to take refuge in the Lord. And now we have heard and have been taught that one part of one part of taking refuge in the Lord is to know that He will judge the wicked. Even more, taking refuge in the Lord is, is the matter of calling upon God to judge the wicked. And how can we do that? Should we do that? Well, yes, we should. It's taught to us in the Psalms. We, we should call upon God to judge the wicked because as severe as the judgment of God is, it is the just judgment of God. The goodness of God requires His judgment. And we should call upon God to judge the wicked because heaven will not be heaven. So that heaven will not be ours unless there is a hell, unless there is a division. Jesus Himself spoke of of dividing in, in His judgment, dividing the sheep from the goats. Dividing those between whoever would persist in rebellion against him and those who would take refuge in him. Isn't it striking, and do we really think about it, that it's Christ himself in the end whom we see carrying out God's judgment upon this earth? A sobering thought that the very Savior who provides salvation is the one who in the end will carry out judgment upon the earth. And every time the gospel is preached, how many times have you heard the gospel, whether from me or a a previous pastor or in another church? Every time you hear the gospel, a division is being made. Those who turn away in unbelief can be assured that the portion of their cup will be judgment for their sin. But those who hear and believe, and let that be each one of us, if never before, then this morning, or if before, then again this morning, let each of us take refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will be saved. Let each of us hear, let each of us believe, and let each of us indeed take refuge in the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. It's easy for us, O God, to set aside the the teaching of your word that your judgment will come. And so you put these words into our mouths and teach us even to pray for your judgment to come. And may this lesson and this prayer move each of us to take refuge in Christ and to receive salvation from him and through him and unto his glory. Indeed, O Lord, we pray that you would come quickly and that you would bring judgment upon the earth to turn away all rebellion, to turn away all ingratitude, to turn away all boorish 
thanklessness and misuse of your good creation. O Lord, we pray for your judgment, and we thank you that we have the good news of Jesus Christ, not only for ourselves, but to proclaim to the, to the nations that indeed uh, there might be no condemnation for all those who indeed would repent and believe and confess the name of Christ in order to be saved. In his name we pray. Amen.